Welcome to HRpreneur. I'm Jim Duffy. From Main Street to your street, the HRpreneur podcast is centered around helping small businesses like yours gain the knowledge you are looking for, from HR, payroll, and hiring, to time, taxes, benefits, and insurance. Today, we'll talk with our guest, Meryl Garderman, about what you need to know to navigate three important end-of-year responsibilities. Merrill is Senior Counsel for ADP's HCM Group. Hello there, Merrill. As always, it's great to have you back on our podcast. Hi, Jim. It's great to be back here. Thanks for having me. And I'm excited to talk to you all about some guidance that we can give to businesses as they're looking to close out the calendar year. Great. So let's get started. Can you please begin by highlighting a few considerations employers should keep in mind when thinking about year-end bonuses? Sure. So if an employer rewards high performers with a non-discretionary year-end bonus, they should be thinking about the impact on their overtime calculations if the employer is giving the bonus to non-exempt employees. And then regardless of the type of bonus, employers also want to be thinking about certain tax obligations. Merrill, you mentioned non-discretionary bonuses. What is a non-discretionary bonus and does it differ from, let's say, a discretionary bonus? Yes, it does. Most bonuses are considered non-discretionary, and that means that these bonuses are non-discretionary because the employee knows about the bonus and expects the bonus, and the bonus is based on defined terms. Uh, For example, non-discretionary bonuses might include bonuses that are based on a predetermined formula, such as an individual or a group production bonus, or bonuses for the quality and the accuracy of work that's done, or bonuses announced to employees to induce them to work more efficiently, or maybe attendance bonuses or safety bonuses, for example. But the fact that the employer has the option not to pay the bonus doesn't make that bonus discretionary. By contrast, discretionary bonuses are not announced or promised in advance. For example, if you decide to surprise employees with a bonus at the end of the year, this would generally be considered a discretionary bonus. And discretionary bonuses don't need to be included when you're calculating overtime, but non-discretionary bonuses do need to be considered. Okay, Merrill. so how would a non-discretionary bonus impact overtime calculations? Well, under federal law, employers have to pay non-exempt employees overtime at one and a half times their regular rate of pay for all hours worked over 40 in a work week. And some states require overtime under additional circumstances as well. So when you're calculating an employee's regular rate of pay, employers have to include non-discretionary bonuses. So that's where bonuses can affect how much overtime is owed to the employee because a bonus will increase the employee's regular rate of pay. So how does a non-discretionary bonus get factored into the regular rate of pay? If the non-discretionary bonus is earned over a single work week, then the bonus is simply added to the employee's regular earnings for that work week when determining their regular rate of pay. But if the bonus is earned over a series of work weeks, then the bonus has to be included in the regular rate of pay in all overtime weeks that are covered by that bonus period. So, Merrill, let's move on to the possible tax implications for paying out bonuses. Can you explain a little bit, please? Absolutely. So with limited exceptions, bonuses are considered supplemental wages and are subject to federal taxes as well as certain state taxes. I'd recommend you consulting with your tax advisor to understand all of your withholding obligations. Does that mean all bonuses are taxable? What if I just give employees a gift card? 
Well, many types of bonuses are considered taxable by the IRS. So, for example, if you're giving cash or a gift certificate or a gift card or similar items that can easily be exchanged for cash, those are all typically considered taxable wages regardless of the amount. But if you were to give your employees something like a turkey or a ham or some other item of nominal value for the holidays, then those gifts would generally not be considered taxable income. But again, if you have questions, I really recommend consulting with a tax advisor. Yeah, Meryl, that's always good advice. So please, let's move on to our next topic, W-2 forms. Can you remind us of the exact deadline for providing the W-2 to employees? Absolutely. So generally, employers have to furnish the W-2 to employees by January 31st each year. If you're mailing the forms, employers can meet this requirement if the form is properly addressed and mailed on or before the due date. What should an employer do if they mail a W-2 to a former employee and it is returned as undeliverable? That's a great question, Jim, and it's one that we get quite often because it happens more often than you would think. And if it happens, the employer should make a reasonable effort to try to deliver the W-2 to the former employee. So what does that mean? So they'll want to confirm that the address that they sent the W-2 is the same address as the one I have on file. And the employer should also contact the individual to see if there's been a change in address. If the employer gets an updated address, then they should place the returned unopened envelope into a new envelope and then mail it to the new address. And the employer may also want to document that their first attempt was returned as undeliverable. And they can do this by taking and retaining a photo of the front of the returned envelope. But to help reduce these types of scenarios before an employee leaves, it's a good idea for the employer to verify that they have the correct mailing address and ask the employee to let them know if there's going to be a change of address. Excellent. What if employers want to provide W-2s to employees electronically? Can they do that? And if so, is there a different due date? Yes, employers can furnish W-2s electronically to employees, provided that certain very specific steps are taken. So each employee participating has to consent, either electronically or by a paper document, to receiving that W-2 electronically. And you as the employer have to notify the employee of all hardware and software requirements that they have to get to receive the form. And you can't send a W-2 electronically to any employee who doesn't consent or who has revoked consent previously provided. So to furnish the W-2 electronically, you have to provide your employee with specific disclosure about their consent and also give them the requirements that they need to know about for your providing that W-2 electronically. Employers must furnish electronic W-2s by the same due date as the paper W-2s. So that's by January 31st. Appreciate your clarifying that. So, Meryl, for our final topic, can we talk about other tax notices that employers may be required to provide to employees during this time of year? Yes, of course. So several states and at least one city require employers to provide employees with notices about the state and or federal earned income tax credit, or the EITC as it's referred. The EITC is a refundable income tax credit for low to moderate income workers. And in many cases, the EITC notice is required annually and at or near the same time as a W-2. So for example, on or before December 31st of each year, all Maryland employers have to provide electronic or written notice to an employee who may be eligible for the federal and the Maryland EITC. 
And Maryland employers may choose to notify all of their employees or just choose to notify those with income at or below the maximum for EITC eligibility. All right, Merrill, where else are these annual EITC notices required? In a number of jurisdictions, actually. So in California, Illinois, New Jersey, Oregon, Philadelphia, and Texas, they each have their own annual EITC notice requirements. Colorado recently became the latest jurisdiction to add this requirement. In Colorado, employers must provide all employees with a written notice of the availability of the federal and state earned income tax credits and also the federal and state child tax credits. The rules governing the format, timing, and contents of the notice differ by jurisdiction, so it's best to check the specific law that applies to your business to make sure that you're following all the requirements. So, Merrill, this brings us to the end of this episode. As always, thank you. Uh, I enjoyed our discussion today here on HRpreneur. And as I often do, I take notes during our conversation. I'd like to recap, but please just keep me honest, okay? First, if you pay bonuses, make sure you consider overtime and tax rules. Second, if you have a non-discretionary bonus when calculating an employee's regular rate of pay, make sure you include these bonuses. Thirdly, bonuses are typically considered supplemental wages and are subject to federal taxes as well as certain state taxes. And employers must furnish the W-2 to employees by January 31st each year. And lastly, several states and at least one city also require employers to provide employees with notices about the state and or federal earned income tax credit, or the EITC, as you referred to it earlier. Did I capture all of that correctly? You did. You captured it perfectly. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Merrill. Presented by ADP, HRpreneur focuses on the entrepreneurs and business drivers who are shaping the growth of their companies and positively impacting the lives of their employees. With each episode, we'll bring the experts to you, answer your questions, and help you think beyond today so you can discover more success tomorrow. Thanks also to our listeners for joining us for today's episode of HRpreneur. Be well, and we hope you'll join us again soon.